0: Starting at verse 1, chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau and when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and to bring it back Rebecca said to her son Jacob Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat So that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats So I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies jacob said to rebecca his mother but my my brother esau is a hairy man and i am a man with smooth skin what if my father touches me i would appear to i would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing his mother said to him My son, let the curse fall on me. Do or just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. And so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. And Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heavens, give you of heaven's dew and of the earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. Many nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And we thank God for his word.
1: All right, well, let's um, pray and think about this interesting part of the Bible. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, uh, for this time that we have together now to think about your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to make sense of it for our lives Uh, as we live as your people now. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if your patience is ever tested. Do you ever find your patience tested when you're waiting for something to happen, but it just seems to take too long for it to work out? I know that I'm tested in my patience when I'm sitting in the traffic at a traffic light that's been red for a while, And then when it turns green, the poor old digger in front of me is sort of looking out the window at the birds or whatever, and they haven't kind of caught on. And I'm sitting there waiting to go before, and then they go, and just as I get to go, it goes red again. Fortunately, we don't have too many traffic lights in Port Macquarie, and so it's not too big a deal here, is it? But that doesn't mean that our patience doesn't get tested at times. Think about the plans or the dreams that you might have that are so far unfulfilled. Are there places that you would long to visit? Or are there debts that you would like paid off? Are there children or grandchildren that you'd like to see who are out of nappies one day? I must say that having been the chief pooper scooper, is what I got called at home, uh, after 10 years' worth of nappies, That was very good to see that toilet training dream come true. How do you feel about the time it takes for things that matter to you to become completed? Do you find your patience can get tested? Well, today as we trace through the Bible the theme of salvation, we see that people also need to be patient with God, and that's true of us as well. One of the things we learn from the book of Genesis is that God establishes his plans for salvation, but he does so in a very steady way. And even as we live in this age where we're closer to the fulfilment of God's plans, we also need to be patient with God as well, don't we? Well, as we look at Genesis, there's a lot of details that we've um, had brought to our attention over time. So it's important to keep the big picture in place. So in the first part of this talk, I want to look at the context and think about the big picture. As Christians, we take the whole Bible as authoritative, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so as we read Genesis, we read it from a, a Christian point of view. And we understand that it finds its fulfilment. God's plans all find their fulfilment in Jesus. And that's what Paul tells us in 2, 2 Corinthians. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so as we read the first book of the Bible, we need to recall its position in the overall plan of the Bible to understand it. And what we see is that God has a plan that extends from Creation at the very start through to a new creation at the end, and that comes by means of his redeeming his people and blessing his people to take them there. In Genesis, we're introduced to God, who's the creative king, who puts into action his plans to redeem his world. We've seen him make a covenant with Abraham to be Abraham's God and the God of Abraham's descendants. We've seen him give specific promises to Abraham that he would have many descendants, a place for them to dwell as God's people, and also that there would be a blessing to all kinds of people throughout the whole world. So by the time we get to the end of Genesis, we start to see some of these plans take shape. We start to see that there are more descendants at the end of Genesis than there are at the start. But we see that there's other plans that are largely unfulfilled. Those descendants are not living in the place that God has for his people. And as far as the blessing that goes to all the nations, that's still a distant reality. So while we're looking in Genesis at the moment, we can see that program, but we're still at a very early stage in those promises being fulfilled. But God's promises are destined to be fulfilled, because God will do it. And that's what Isaac gets told in chapter 26. God reminds Isaac of of his promises, and we can see that in 26 verses 1 to 5. There's a famine in the land that Isaac's living in, and God tells him not to fret, not to panic, instead, also not to go to Egypt, but to go to where the Philistines are for a time. But that God would still bless him And God tells him directly in verses 3 to 5, he says, all these lands will be given to his many descendants, talking about Abraham, and through his offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. So Isaac's getting a recap of the plans handed down to Abraham of land, descendants and blessing. But Isaac is a worried man. And it's a fair enough Time for him to be worried, isn't it? Because there is a famine in the land at that point in time. He's worried about how he's going to feed himself and his family. That's a pretty decent threat. But God reassures him and encourages him to be patient, saying things will turn out okay because God fulfills his promises. But it's also very significant. What's also significant is God gives a reason why he's going to fulfil his promises. And here he says he's going to fulfil his promises because of Abraham's response to God. There are two sides to the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Uh, God's going to be his God, he's got his plans and purposes, but he also calls Abraham to obey him. That's the other side of the coin. And here we see that the way Abraham and the others are to receive God's promises is through the path of obedience. We see this in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 26. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. Abraham had a living faith. He put his faith to the test by actually obeying God that's how he showed the faith that he had he believed in God's promises he left the homeland that he that he began in he accepted the right of circumcision for himself and his offspring and he also showed a willingness to offer his only son Isaac in Genesis chapter 18 we read God saying for I have chosen him talking about Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just, so that, there's the reason, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised to him. So we see that God has made promises to Abraham, but Abraham also had a responsibility. He he was obliged To obey God. And as he did so, he would also inherit the promises. Now, friends, the news for us is that God has not changed. The same God of Abraham is our God as well. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as those who enjoy life with God through the work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection on our behalf to pay for our sins, we're also called to a new life as well we're called to a life of obedience as well that's the way in which we'll also inherit god's promises in matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 the disciples are challenged to spread the good news about what jesus has done throughout the whole world a bit like what uh, lauren's planning to do this year and jesus said to them Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. As we've come to know Jesus, we're not called to have a mere head knowledge of him. It's not as though we should uh, you know be so concerned to believe particular doc- doctrines, but It's got nothing to do with a genuine faith in our lives being worked out. We're not called just to have what might be described as an armchair faith, where we merely mentally assent to something. We're called to be disciples or followers of Jesus. And the challenge for us is a bit like Abraham. He was called to be obedient to God and to live God's way. And that was the way in which he was going to receive God's promises. We're also called to be disciples of Jesus And to obey him as our Lord. It's one thing to have him as our saviour, but there's no option except for us to have him as Lord as well. We've got to be obedient to him. That's the way in which we'll inherit God's promises as well. Well, back to the beginning once again. In Genesis, we've seen how God encourages Isaac with the reminder of his promises, and that strengthens Isaac's resolve. And Isaac continues the line of promise. Isaac is also blessed, and those who bless Isaac also get blessings. We see this in chapter 26. In that story, Isaac spends a bit of time with the Philistines. Even though he puts his wife at risk by passing her off as his sister, God still looks after him. God blesses his lands and his flocks until the Philistines see him as too big of a threat, and they send him on his way. As he goes out, he continues to find water and builds well after well. And the Philistines start to get a handle on the fact that God is blessing Isaac. If you're reading on, you can pick it up in verse 26, verse 28. This is what they say. They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. They can see that Isaac is blessed by God. Isaac then made a feast for them. They ate and drank. And so we see that Isaac is blessed by God. He carries on that line of blessing. But overall, the significance of Isaac doesn't seem to be as prominent as some of the other patriarchs. Uh, He seems more renowned to being the the son of Abraham, the child of promise who doesn't get slaughtered, uh, and also the father of Jacob. But he is significant as the one through whom God's promises are passed on. Now by the time uh, we get to the end of chapter 26, the story changes direction once again and Isaac's no longer the focus of the story. It's now moving over to his children. Last week Scott spoke about the tension between young Jacob and Esau and we start to get an insight into their adulthood this week. We see that Esau starts to take some Uh, Women who aren't from the family clan. And they turn out to make life difficult for his mother, Rebecca, although we don't get all the details as to why that's the case. But in chapter 27, we reach a turning point uh, in the direction that the, the plans and the promises go and the line through whom they go. And we see that God's promises concerning Jacob, ultimately, are cleared up when there's a pronouncement of blessing. There was a prophecy made earlier in chapter 25, verse 23, that says the older will serve the younger. That is, Jacob's the one through whom the blessing is going to come. He's going to be the legal firstborn. And we know that Jacob was pretty cunning. He actually managed to get Esau to sell his birthright for a simple bowl of stew. And the writer... God, or Moses, it seems, who recorded these things, then writes that Esau despised his birthright. That's Esau's approach. He doesn't care about his birthright. And so we're to conclude that Jacob is kind of sneaky, but Esau is altogether foolish. He has a bit of a a short-term approach to life. He's not concerned about the long-term. Although the birthright's been sold to the younger brother, it still seems critical that they work out the terms of the inheritance arrangement. And so that's where the blessing seems to come through. It seems to apply this inheritance specifically to the legal firstborn. Now perhaps Isaac and Esau are trying to dodge this prophecy that the older will serve the younger. And it appears that they have a somewhat private meeting. There's a scene where Isaac asks Esau to go out into the field to get some game so they can clear up this matter of the blessing and the inheritance. Esau is told, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. That's what Isaac says to Esau. Now, some commentators have drawn attention uh, to the fact that uh, Isaac doesn't really handle the, the transition, if you like, of the inheritance as in an open way, in the same way that Abraham did in chapter 25. And so we're left wondering a little bit about the motives of Isaac. Does he really want that prophecy that's been handed down, that the older will serve the younger? Does he want that prophecy to come about as the Lord has said? We know that Esau is his favourite, while Rebekah prefers Jacob. And in this process, as they're working out who will get the blessing, uh, we see that Rebecca has big ears. She's tuning in on this little plan from Isaac and Esau. And the tension starts to build within the story. Rebecca devises a plan to deceive Isaac. And whilst Esau's out in the wilderness, Jacob and Rebecca get a substitute meal, not of game from out in the woods, but of some goats. And in order to not fail the touch test, Jacob puts on some of Esau's gear and wears goat, goat hair, to pass off as a hairy lad. Now, as I said in the early church, Esau must have been a pretty hairy guy to mix him up with a goat. You know, that's one hairy bloke. But in the midst of this plan, you know, there he is disguised as a a goat or a hairy man or a werewolf or something like that, uh, Jacob's not really worried about the deception. It doesn't bother him that this is an immoral thing to do, to deceive. He's only worried about getting caught. You see that in verse 12. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. So we don't see Jacob being that great a character. Well, Isaac buys the the goat costume thing. And uh, after calling Jacob a bit closer, he smells the smell of the wilderness as opposed to the smell of tents or the the local barn. And he pronounces this blessing of inheritance. But then Esau comes in, and it's all downhill from there. There's a, a rupture in the family. I'm going to read from verse 30, so if you've got that in front of you, you might find that useful. I'll read for a little while. Verse 30. This is what we didn't read in the Bible reading that Barb read out. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, that was good timing, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So, what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Well, Esau misses out, he misses out on the blessing of the inheritance. But he consoles himself with the thought that when Isaac passes away, he's going to kill Jacob. So he's, he's happy with that idea. Again, Rebecca takes charge and she tells Jacob to flee to her brother Laban's place and then Rebecca approaches Isaac to help him on his way and she tells Isaac that the local women are displeasing and have caused a grief and so Jacob needs a wife from the family clan. And so Isaac calls Jacob in and asks him to go to Laban's for a wife. And so we come to the end game and a further blessing. In chapter 28, verse 3, this is what uh, Isaac says to Jacob, picking up on this idea of a blessing that's coming from Abraham through Isaac and down to Jacob. Verse 3 says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples may he give you and you and your descendants the blessing given to abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien the land god gave to abraham so we've seen that god's plans are being passed down in an unusual way they would normally go through the firstborn But the next generation is Jacob and his family. Well, what can we take away from this story? How is God speaking to us today with this message uh, for us who live some several thousand years later? Well, one of the things that we note is that God uses a mixed bag of characters, doesn't he, to bring about his plans and purposes. All the characters in this story are imperfect people. Isaac has his favourite and he seems disinterested in the word, that word of prophecy from God as to who will be the legal firstborn. rebecca has got her favourite and although she comes down on the right side of the prophecy, understanding who would be the legal firstborn, she's still sneaky in the way that she goes about things. Jacob deceives twice And when he's asked by his father how come he could go and get the meal so quickly, uh, he gives a quite a pious answer and says, because the Lord your God granted me success. He's talking about God and he, he refers to God as Isaac's God, not his God. He doesn't seem to know him as God. And he's talking about how God's giving him success, but he's really just trying to be sneaky once again. Esau, we see, has already despised his birthright and he seems pretty keen to get the inheritance anyway and he's also ready to kill in vengeance. All the characters, they're not the greatest, are they? Uh, And they've all got feet of clay, we might say. And yet God's plans are still going to be fulfilled even by means of people who are pretty rotten, pretty average characters and sinful people. Ultimately, it's not their characters that seems to matter the most, it's God's character. Because he's committed to bringing about his plans and purposes. God is so awesome that he can bring about those plans and purposes even by using fragile people. And at one level we can take some comfort in that message. In the first place, nothing's going to get in the way of God bringing about salvation. He's carried out his plans in the past, even in spite of difficult characters, and he's going to bring his plans and purposes to completion at the end. Nothing and no one is going to stop God from fulfilling his plans and his purposes. And furthermore, in terms of God's mission to take the gospel to the world, he can even use people like us. Isn't that remarkable? Each of us knows the depth of our sinful hearts and the mistakes we make, but in a marvellous way, God can even use fragile people like us in his plans and purposes to share the good news about Jesus, that people might enjoy forgiveness of their sins and new life with God. So we're encouraged to see that God is so big and powerful, he can bring about his plans and purposes, even with weak people like ourselves. Now, God's plans aren't going to be stopped. They remain current, even for us. The Apostle Peter reminds the Christians that some people will be sceptical. Some people will scoff at the fact that Jesus is going to return once again. He says, some will say, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, Jesus isn't going to return again. It's, It's been a long time but he reminds them that God keeps his promises and that he will send Jesus and establish a renewed creation where we will have a place that's better than the promised land, that's a heavenly reality, where we'll dwell with God as his people. And Peter encourages the Christians with the fact that God's promises will be fulfilled. He says in 2 Peter 3 verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, until that time comes, the challenge remains for us to be patient, doesn't it? Patient and content as we wait on God to fulfill his promises. We're closer at the end than than certainly Isaac and his crew were, but we're still required to be patient. Now, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. But because we live in a world where there are so many complexities and difficulties, there are many pains and frustrations and sorrows, we're only going to find so much contentment in this age, aren't we? There's only so much contentment to be had in a fallen world. But the message from God's word today is we can still find contentment in God. We've seen that God not only cares, we've seen that he also is able to carry out his plans and that strengthens us and encourages us. Because God is in control and he's bringing in his kingdom, We can be content in our destiny and his care for us. And so as we face the various frustrations of this age, the difficulties that we worry about, or the things that we find we're we're losing patience in, we can still remember that God has things in control. Nothing will stop his plan. And he cares for us. That he is bringing an end where we will experience him and have an experience which is far better than this age Uh, we're required simply now to be a bit like abraham and god's faithful people to obey god and that's the way in which we'll receive those promises as we hold on to what jesus has done for us as we continue to test what we believe by what we do as we hold on and obey god That's the way in which we will receive God's promises and be with him in the end. Well, let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, we do pray for your help, for us to be patient with the frustrations and challenges of this age. But we do give you thanks that you are faithful, that you've been faithful in the past and nothing's going to stop you bringing about your plans and purposes to bless us, to bring us into that place where we'll dwell as your people forever. Lord, we thank you that you're so sovereign and awesome that you can bring about your plans and purposes even by using frail people and Lord, we pray for ourselves as we're used by you to strengthen each other as your people here in church. And Lord, as we each in our own way participate in Christ's mission uh, to bear testimony to what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we're thankful that um, you can work things out and that you can use even people like us in your plans. Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond to you with an obedient faith, that we would test what we believe by what we do and that we would have a living and active faith. Lord, help us to persevere as your obedient people, always living with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Lord, we thank you for this time and for this reading and section of your word today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.